Acts 2. And verse 1 is a good place to start in Acts 2. Um, when the day of Pentecost had was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And as, as we begin, you know, looking at these, kind of mark this in your heart, some of the things here. One accord, one place. Uh, sound from heaven, suddenly. It came upon them suddenly, immediately. And it was a sound as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house that they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set up on each of them. And all, all these little things uh, in the coming weeks, we may just, just break apart and take our time and do this uh, really in depth. Because kind of, kind of what the Lord has in my heart in regards to Pentecost is the... Uh, it is the coming of the Spirit. Everything in the Old Testament that speaks in relationship of the coming of the Spirit, I believe is fulfilled or brought forth here in Pentecost. So, so you have the day of Pentecost was fully come, and what happened is the Spirit came. That's what happened when Pentecost came. And then just to catch our minds for a moment in that, the fact that the Spirit came, what did Jesus say was going to happen when the Spirit came? A, a, couple, a couple of things he said that we should always keep in our mind. He said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he shall take of me and show me to you. He shall take of mine and show it unto you. He also said at that day, you would know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I'm in you. And, and finally, uh, another thing he said was he, that the Holy Spirit would bring all things to your, your remembrance that I said unto you. So, the, so in, in the coming of the Holy Spirit, there was a number of things that was wrapped up in that. And, and, and a lot of times when we present Pentecost or, or the idea of Pentecostal in, in our minds is probably just the, the you, you know, it's the feeling of the Holy Ghost and the, and the speaking in tongues in which, which I believe in that. I, I've, I've had that experience. I believe in that with my whole heart but I see a picture that is just bigger than that. It's, it's the revealing of Christ Jesus. That, that's really what the Spirit came to do, is to reveal Christ unto his people. Amen? That's the purpose. So, one second here. Uh, sorry, one second. Will you turn that light off? It's causing a glare. Sorry about that, guys. But um, so we have this reality 
that's wrapped up in the Spirit of God coming. And, and here in the first few verses, he came on the day of Pentecost. And when he came, there was a sound as a rushing mighty wind, cloven tongues of fire set up on them that were there gathered in one mind and one accord. And this voice, this sound went out from the place they were gathered. And I said last week that while I believe the sound was people being filled with the Spirit and speaking in other tongues, I believe that because I've had that happen to me. And I'll stress that. I believe that. But also the utterance signified speaking from the Spirit. You know, why, why does God give us a heavenly language? Why, why you, you know, does he do that? I know we can say, well, that's our prayer language. Well, that's to communicate with God. And, and I'm agree. I'm good with all of those explanations. However, something I, I don't think I really got a hold of to recently is that when we declare the word by the Spirit to a lot of people, it's like you're speaking in another tongue. Just, just speaking English to the audience that understands English, when you speak to them out of the spirit, many times they look at you like, we don't know what you're talking about. We have no spiritual comprehension, right? So, so part of the speaking in an unknown tongue, I believe, may reflect that, that you're, you're declaring an utterance from God. So our, our declaration that we present to one another should be an utterance from the Lord. It should be an utterance from the Father, something that has been shown to us by the Spirit of God, not just something we believe. And we should believe it because the Spirit of God is showing it to us. And, and as we come down in here into the book of, uh, of Acts 2, where we read last week, uh, something, something else that's power, powerful on down in this. And in verse 14, the apostles began to do exactly uh, what is said. They began to declare Jesus Christ. Look at this. Peter says, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. So what Joel spoke, so if I go back to Joel and I should take a note and I should read the prophet Joel, because Peter is saying, this is that. This is what Joel declared. So what Joel declared is now being fulfilled. It's now come forth in the earth. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. 
The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined counsel, predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him, it was impossible for him to be held in his power. I'm going to stop right here because I want to focus on, and it shall be in the last days. But I wanted to show you that immediately Peter began to declare Christ. I said this last week, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, <coughs> because Jesus had said, he will take of mine and show it to you. So Peter immediately did what? Declared Christ. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? It takes Christ, he takes Christ, he takes Jesus and reveals him, shows him, discloses him, makes him known. That's what he immediately began to do. And that was the immediate declaration by the Apostle Peter that Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus the Nazarene, as God said, you, you know, and he began to connect what the prophets said, that that. David, and if you and if you think about Peter, if you think real close with Peter, this was was an utterance of the Spirit of God. I'm certain of this. That Peter probably, like most men, thinks David is uh, speaking of himself, or not sure what David's speaking of. But here on the day of Pentecost, all at once, Peter's saying. When David cries out, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. All at once, Peter's saying, he's, David's not declaring himself here, but David is declaring Christ. And this is, this is like immediately that, that Peter gets a hold of this. And he gets a hold of this by the Spirit of God, because he's, uh, his utterance is by the Spirit of God. He's speaking to this people by the Spirit of God. That's, that's what's significant. And even as you go on in the book of Acts, and they, and, they, and they talk about Peter and John, and they said these men are, are, you, you know, are ignorant and unlearned, but they have been with Jesus. And, and, and they probably didn't understand, not only had they been with Jesus, but now the Spirit of Christ, Jesus himself, in, in, in his spirit, is now dwelling in them. He has now come by the Spirit to indwell a people and be made known, because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, at that day when the Spirit comes, you're going to know. You're going to know that I am in the Father. You're going to know you are in me. You're going to know that I am in you. That's what the Spirit is going to do, is show you that I'm in you and you're in me. 
He's going to show you the relationship that you now have in Christ. That's, to me, what Pentecost is. Is the fullness of this, it's, it's the coming of this relationship that God has brought in Christ. And it's the coming of everything that God did in Passover. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at this. But tonight, like I said, if, if I don't go to what I said, I'll, I'll be saying 10 more minutes, but tonight what I said. <laughs> so, so, and it shall be in the last days. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. All right. That was fulfilled 2,000 years ago or close to 2,000 years ago or over 2,000 years ago, according to, to when this happened. But somewhere around 2,000 years ago, God poured out his spirit. God poured it out. Jesus shed forth that which you now see and hear. So this is not something that's still yet to come. It's coming to those that haven't received the outpouring of the spirit. That same freshness of the Spirit is real to anyone that experiences the outpouring of the Spirit, but as an action from God's part, it's not yet to come. And a lot of, a lot of people in the church present this as part of this happened with Peter, but part of this is yet to come because the last days have to come because people don't understand the last days. The last days that they're talking about are the last days of that Jewish covenant of the old covenant. So, so in the last days, God said he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That came on the day of Pentecost. God poured out his spirit. Those, and they began to see by the spirit of God, what the last days really were. And, and Jeremiah prophesied in a number, a number of these places, uh, in a number of places, Jeremiah prophesied that God was going to cut a new covenant, that, that the old covenant was going to be removed and the new covenant was coming forth. Well, well this is what has happened. What God had said and what was done in Christ Jesus was now in force in the earth. And see, uh, if I go to Hebrews chapter 9, turn to Hebrews 9. I was going to read a bunch of places in Jeremiah, but I, but I probably won't. But Hebrews 9 says, verse 24. Hebrews 9 says more than the verse 24, but verse 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer him, himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must have often suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Well, well, if I stop right here, 
the world never quit turning. The natural sun, moon, and stars kept moving, right? But the writer here said, once in the end of the world. The King James interprets this word world. It's actually an age. At the end of the age, hath he appeared to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. That's how he put away sin. And John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away, what? The sin, not sins, the sin of the world. And that original sin was disobedience. Through one man's disobedience, sin came upon what? All men. But through the obedience of one man. So, so what happened is, is the disobedience was solved through the obedience of one man. That was what happened. He took away sin through his obedience. He was obedient unto death even the death of the cross, right? So through his obedience, Christ took away in the body of his flesh sin. And he took away, he took us away from that old covenant. That's the end of the world. That age ended. That was the end of those days. And so Jesus did it at the cross, but when the Holy Ghost is poured out on Pentecost, now all at once these apostles are beginning to see what Jesus has done. And they're beginning to see what the scriptures mean, right? You know, like Daniel, stand in your light till, I can't remember exactly how that scripture says it, but to the end, to the end has come. And, and people think that means, well, when the end of the world comes. No, this is the same end. It's all dealing with the same end. It's the end of that covenant, the end of that period of time, and another time coming forth, another time without end, a, another covenant coming forth that has no end. The, the, and, and Isaiah prophesies of Christ that unto us a child is born, son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and there shall be no end of his government. And Paul says that we are translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. So we're translated out of darkness, out of the power of darkness through the working of the Spirit of God into the kingdom of God that has no end, that the kingdoms of darkness cannot prevail over. We are in that now. We've been in it since Jesus died since he was buried, since he raised from the dead, and the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost, the kingdom of God came on the day of Pentecost. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So when the day of Pentecost came, the kingdom of God came 
on that day because the kingdom of God is in the spirit. The kingdom of God's dear son is in the spirit. The apostle Paul says in one place that the end of the world, ends of the world are upon us. In the book of, uh, I believe it's Corinthians, I'm, I'm looking for that, but, but it keeps coming to my mind that he said, he said the, you know, First uh, Corinthians 10 and 11. Now these happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment, this translation says the fulfillment of the ages has come. So the King James here says, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, King James, King James, uh, new, new King James. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world has come. Now, I like the Berean translation better because it says what I just read, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Because that's what happened. The age of the law and prophets was fulfilled. And it came on that first century believer, and it's still fulfilled. We're just walking in the fulfillment of it. And the sad part is most, I shouldn't say most, many believers don't understand it. Many believers do not understand the truth that's in Christ. Isaiah 2, Isaiah 2, and, and I'm trying not to tell you again that it's probably my favorite scripture, but there I go, one of, one of my favorite scriptures, Isaiah 2. In Isaiah 2, it says, and it shall come to pass, here's this again, in the last days. Look at this. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Now, now mark this and turn over to John 4. John 4. In John chapter 4. It says, Jesus and the woman at the well, in verse uh, 20, the woman of Samaria says to Jesus in John 4, verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Okay. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mount nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. If, if we could get Christians to believe what Jesus said right here, just what he said right here, we would solve a lot of heartache and get rid of a lot of erroneous teachings because he told the woman of Samaria that a time is coming that they would neither worship God in Samaria nor in Jerusalem. And Jesus went on to say to her, 
you worship you know not what, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. See, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 2. The, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. Here's how the mountain is established. It's established in the spirit. Here's the fulfillment of that. Jesus says they're neither going to worship in the mountain of Samaria, nor will they worship, nor will they worship in Jerusalem. For God is a spirit. This is why. God is a spirit, and he seeketh those to worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. And, and that's what this covenant is. It's a covenant of spirit and truth. It's not a covenant of letter. It's a covenant of spirit and truth. So the, so the mountain of the house of the Lord is, is established. And the mountain of the house of the Lord is Mount Zion. Because the Lord says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a tried stone, a sure corner stone. So he lays in Zion the stone that the builders rejected. He lays in Zion the, the foundation stone, the cornerstone for the house of God. And the Apostle Paul understands that, and he says that we are built upon the foundation. We are built upon the stone. We are built upon that that God has laid in Zion. And Upon this foundation, we are built for a habitation. Here's this word again, of God by the Spirit. So we come to this place of spiritual worship, spiritual understanding, right? So we're in this glorious covenant of the Spirit. And the end of those days of the letter of the law, are over. So we don't come to God through animal sacrifices. We don't come to God through the doing of the law. We come to God through the receiving of Christ, and we're built up in our faith, in our relationship with God through the unveiling of Christ. That's how we're built. We're built on, Paul writes, the foundation we're built up in Christ Jesus. So as Christ is unveiled in our hearts, because he's the word of covenant, I said this last week, and, and, and in the coming weeks, we're really going to look at that. He's the word of covenant as he is, so are we in this present world. And that's what he declared in John 17, Father, that they may be one as we are one. You know, that's, that's the words he's declaring. Do you think the words that Jesus declared might have a little bit of force? Given that he spoke and the world is? Given that he's called the word of God? Given that he's called the son of God? Given that he's called the eternal father? Given that he's called the prince of peace? Given that he's called you know, the living God, do you think his words may have a little force? 
Father, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. So, so the reality of this covenant is that what he declared is in force. His word is in force. And so we are one through his work that he did in his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is realized in Pentecost. That's what Pentecost is, is the realization of what God has done in Christ, the revelation of what God has done in Christ. And that old had to be removed because that old couldn't bring the fulfillment. That old was only a picture. It, was a, it served as types and examples of what God was going to do in Christ. Jesus isn't a picture. Jesus calls himself, and, and I dealt with this uh, this week on the IMs of Jesus. Jesus calls himself the truth. He's the reality of this. He's what God had declared in the types and shadows. So he's not the picture of it. He's the reality of it. That's who he is. And we're brought by the Spirit of God. You know, John said he was carried by the Spirit of God to a great high mountain in the book of Revelation. Do you think that's a different mountain than what the writer of Hebrews says? We've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Do we think that that's somehow a different mountain than, than Isaiah 2 prophesying about when he says God is going to establish his mountain and that for the house of the Lord and, and, and we will flow unto it, how we flow unto it is by the Spirit of God through the understanding given to us by the Spirit of God. And we worship God in spirit and truth and now this old has passed away, and all things are new in Christ Jesus. And when we begin to see all things are new in Christ Jesus, we begin to see out of a different uh, mindset. It, instead, of, instead of telling people that doom and gloom and despair is getting ready to come upon you, you you begin to tell them that Jesus took the doom and gloom and despair. He took it in the body of his flesh. And what God has for you is goodness, mercy, and peace and joy. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. The gospel is called good news. And I tell you, people get up and say, well, I'm going to preach to you the full gospel. And most of what, much of the time when they get done with you, you've heard everything but good news. But, but Jesus come declaring the good news of the gospel that he took in himself. That's how the end of the world came, is Christ ended that world. He ended a world of despair, a world of sin, a world of death. That's what he ended. In Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. See, that's two different worlds. Hard for a lot of people to hear, but that's two different ages. That world ended, that in Adam all died. When you receive Christ Jesus in your heart, you're not dead anymore. He's the God of the living. Do, do we understand that? 
He said, I'm not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Christ liveth in you. You're joined to him. He's your light. He's the God of the living. And that's a whole different age. Now, is everybody in the world in this? No. No. The, the, the difference, what, what separates you that are in this and, and those that are not, is the receiving of the Spirit of God. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear and says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, they are none of his. But what's sad to me is Christians that have the Spirit of Christ do not understand what they have. They do not understand the glory of God that is in them. They're looking for the glory of God. They're looking for all these things on an outward scale when it's inward. That Christ is in you. If you if you just if we would just hear that, I'm getting ready to stop, but if we just hear that Christ is in you. Paul says that what's in Christ? In him dwells what? The fullness of the Godhead bodily. What? Christ is in you. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. See, see, the, I, I'm wanting to stop, but I got to ask this question. Is heaven greater than the Spirit of God? People, people have this concept, well, someday I'm going to go to heaven. Okay. I, I believe in heaven. So if you so if you if you want to get personal with me, I believe in heaven. I believe when you leave these bodies, you're going to continue in Christ. I believe that. But I don't necessarily believe the concept that a lot of people have of heaven. The question I have is the Spirit of God or heaven greater? Because people are preaching heaven's greater. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of God and bodily. You are complete in him. So what you're looking for, you know, the sad part is you're putting off many times, or we are putting off, the reality of God that we can know right now for someday when we physically die. Because we're saying we have to physically die to know this. But Jesus never said that. Jesus said the Spirit of God's going to come and he's going to take of me and show it to you. He's going to show you all of me. <laughs> he's going he's to make everything known to you that I've said. That's what, that's what Jesus says. But religion says, oh, when you, in the sweet by and by, you're going to get all this. Well, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, when the Spirit comes. Well, I believe the Spirit came. I believe I'm talking to Spirit-filled believers. I believe I'm talking to people in whom Christ dwells in right now. I believe that His fullness is in us. I believe that, that what we need is an unveiling, a greater seeing and knowing of the Lord. And that in this greater seeing and knowing of the Lord is the reality of heaven on earth. I believe that. See, see I really believe that 
what Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe he meant it. I don't think it was just words that he was he was speaking. And, and it's just understanding how it comes. That's, that's the issue, is how it comes. And, and, and I'll really try to stop right here because many people believe, well, it's going to happen suddenly someday. That's what many people believe. Suddenly, someday, there's there's something going to happen. You you know, they call it many different things, but it's going to happen suddenly, someday, and then then his kingdom's going to come on earth as it is in heaven. I believe it's happening through the Spirit of God. I believe it says that suddenly there came a sound as a rushing mighty wind on the day of Pentecost, a rushing mighty wind. Or as Brother Henry would have said, a Russian mighty wind, but a Russian mighty wind, Brother Henry, and it filled us. It filled us. And now that suddenly filled us with the goodness and glory of Christ to be made known. That's what he did. And we never had it before, but we have it now. And God is just wanting to unveil it that that the kingdom operate in earth, in these earthen vessels. See, here's the in earth. These earthen vessels that we are on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he desires. That we're in this relationship as we're one with him. And we would live in the earth one with our brother, knowing that, all the body of Christ is one. That is not, it's not made up of denominations. It's not Pentecostal and Baptist and Methodist and Catholic. God doesn't have denominations. He has a body. And he's filled that body with himself. The fullness of the Godhead bodily is in Christ. So God's filled this body with himself that this body could manifest him in the earth. And that's what we're gathering to see and understand and, and be partakers of. That's what we are partakers of. But we're, we're gathering to understand what we're partakers of. And, and I'll stop right there and I'll call on uh, uh, Brother uh, Roger. So, Brother Roger, I unmute you, Brother. Okay, Brother Wayne. Thank you.